0: When you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about it. Uh, You get there. You don't care that there's a million people around. You're willing to spend $12 for a churro, (laughs) right? All sanity goes out the window, and you're just there. You're just happy. I think the most recent family to go, uh, Raymond, McHale, and and Sarah, just took their whole family. And he told me, you know, we got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and we showered and sang Disney songs together. Then we got there and they just had a great time. There's something about it, it doesn't matter if you're young, just a baby, or if you're older. You, every time you go to Disneyland, you just see people with a smile on their face. You see them happy, you see uh, the sense of joy. We've got pictures of, of our kids. You know, We couldn't wait to take them. We took them when they were two. They can't remember and they can't ride anything, but I think we just wanted to go, but we took them anyway. So, for all of you guys, as we go through this new series about the happiest place on earth, if you have pictures of yourself or your family at Disneyland, we want you to email them to us so we can share them during the series. Send them to pictures at thewaybrea.com. Let me say that again, pictures at thewaybrea.com, amen, and then we'll put your, your family's face all over the place so we can see what you look like when you're actually happy. I'm just kidding with you guys. (laughs) But the goal of this series is we're going to look at what makes Disneyland the happiest place on Earth and what's so different about Disney than our daily reality. We want to look at it. We want to be able to contrast. What makes that place the happiest place on earth? Why are people so excited to go there and to be there, don't want to leave that place, plan ahead to go to that place? Before they leave, they're thinking about the next time they get to get back to that place and why that's so different than our daily reality that we, uh, that we live in and the daily uh, grind that many of us find ourselves in. So why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for being able to come into your house. We thank you for giving us an opportunity to see you for who you are, that we would just uh, lift up our voices and worship unto you, God. We thank you that you've given us finances to be able to give back to you, Lord God. We thank you that you've given us hope And that uh, we can find in you what we've always been looking for. We ask this morning that you would just continue to have your way, that you'd speak into our lives, Lord God, that you would help us and encourage us, Lord God, that you would steer us, guide us, direct us, fill us with your spirit afresh, fill us anew, Lord God, that you'd have your way in this service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, I want to give you definitions. When I say it's the happiest place on earth and I say that you find joy there, I want to start with the definition of joy joy is a feeling of great pleasure or happiness a feeling of great pleasure or happiness and rejoice right the feeling is joy what we do is rejoice rejoicing means to show great joy or delight right so joy is an internal feeling rejoicing is the external effect we should rejoice because we have joy does that make sense somebody say amen John 15, 9 says this, Jesus says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy, say joy, Joy. that my joy may remain in you and that your joy, say joy. joy, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, and greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Listen to what Jesus has to say about joy. He says that there is joy in love and sacrifice. Think about joy. Think about what it is we're striving for and looking for and hoping for. What Jesus says here is that you find it in love and you find it in sacrifice. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me and keep my commandments, you'll have my joy, and my joy will make you full. Love, sacrifice, his joy, our fullness, right? Hebrews twelve two says this. We look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He says, Love, sacrifice, he says, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And then it says that he laid down his life for us. Why? For joy he went to the cross. I have a feeling that we're looking for something different when it comes to joy and happiness than what Jesus says joy and happiness is. And that might be the reason why many of us don't find joy and happiness because we're looking for the wrong things. When somebody asks, how are you doing, are you happy, we don't start talking about all the sacrifices we're making and why we're joyful. We don't start talking about how we're laying our lives down and how we can't wait for the next opportunity, right, to lay our lives down for somebody that we would have fullness of joy. I believe that his definition is is much different, or I would say this, maybe a better way to say it is that Jesus has a complete definition of joy that's different than ours. We see little glimpses or a portion of what maybe joy or happiness is, but I want the whole thing. Anybody else? Amen. I'm going to read from John chapter 17. So he says, joy can be found in love and joy can be found in sacrifice. It says that he endured and went to the cross for joy. John 17, 12 says, while I was with them in the world, this is Jesus talking to the father. He says to his father, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I've kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. Many of us have wondered about our salvation and can we get away from God. Jesus says, if the Father has given you into my hand, I will not lose you. You can't shake free. You can't run fast enough. You cannot hide from me. You're in my hand. He goes back to the Father and he says, everyone that you gave me, I have them. The only one that I don't have is the one that never belonged to me, the son of perdition, Judas. right? I've lost none except the son of perdition. Why? That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Listen to that. I don't want you to escape. I don't want you to get out of your drama. I don't want you to get out of your poverty. I don't want you to get out of the world. I don't want you to get out of your surroundings. I just want you to be kept from evil. That's what Jesus prays for us. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What Jesus says here is, There's joy and it can be found in the word. You hear what he said? He said, I shared your word. I spoke to them these things that they would be able to have joy. He said it, verse 13, I come to you, Father, these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy. His word is what gives us joy. This morning, if you're looking for joy and you might not be able to find it as often as you'd like, I ask you, how often are you in the Word? Because that's where it is. That's where it is. See, when we go to Disneyland, we expect to find happiness and joy there because we know it's there. Do you know it's here? (laughs) Do you expect to find happiness and joy here? Because that's what Jesus just said, not me, not someone else. He said, it's in my Word, it's what I speak you can find joy in it. You know, Raymond, Raymond told me last week that one reason that he loved going to Disneyland, he said everybody there was nice. He says, he says, I know it's their job, but it seems sincere. Hey, sir, how you doing? We see that your leg is hurting, why don't we give, you know what he told me? He said he got extra good treatment. Because of his leg, they put him onto the fast track, and then he said, listen, I got like 12 people with me, right? Can we all go, or they're gonna have to wait for me? Because he was gonna go to the front of the line regardless. <laughs> They said, no, sir, you all get to come. And then the girls just had, the twins just had a birthday, so they had these birthday stars. So he had like the VIP treatment, front of every line, all the characters coming up to the girls. He said, they went to get food. Everybody was so nice. And sir, can we get this for you? Can we get that? Let me give you a refill. The happiest place on earth. Shouldn't we as Christians be striving for that? Should Disneyland really be the end-all and be-all of of joy and happiness and how to treat people? Should people feel better treated and loved and joyful at Disneyland than they feel in the house of God? So, Gary said that we're the salt and light of the world, that when we give, don't worry about it. God wants to bless you. Why? So that we can be salt, that we can be light, so we can be a blessing to the world, right? Right? Isn't it interesting that if you have all these characters at Disneyland, you have all the people that work there that love to work there, my son has drum lessons and he's missed the last two lessons, you know why? Because the dude that teaches him drums works at Disneyland and he's like, man, they did the parade twice, I'm not coming to do drum lessons, I'm in the parade. Can't wait to be there, can't wait to be a part of giving joy to people. Isn't that how we should be as Christians? The happiest place on earth. He says that when he speaks his word and we receive and read his word, that his joy is fulfilled in us. I don't know if you got that. Let me, let me, he says in verse 12, those whom you've gave me, I've kept, none is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You are the fulfillment in you is the fulfillment of the joy of the Lord. Jesus says that when we receive his word, when we read his word, and when we're full, he's full. It's fulfilled in you. Something's lacking when we don't have joy. Does that make sense? So as we begin this series, I want everyone to just see that joy and happiness, according to God, is different than what the world tells us joy and happiness should be. And if you're still looking for the joy and the happiness that you were looking for before you found Christ... If you're still looking for the joy and happiness that the rest of your friends and family that maybe don't know the Lord are looking for and we're all striving for the same thing, we'll never find it because that's not where it is. It's not available. It does not exist. It's a mirage. James chapter one, verse two says, my brethren, count it all joy. Say joy. joy. When you go to Disneyland. That's not what it said. When you get a raise, when you find money. It doesn't say that. Is this a mistake? Does everybody else's Bible have a mistake here? Because this can't be right. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Man, what are we looking for? This this can't be right. Somebody calls you, I'm going through it, everything's terrible. Oh, man, that's so joyful. (laughs) I'm so glad you called me. (laughs) I wish I was going through that. something must be wrong with the Bible. Jesus must have something confused. Just yesterday, one of our church members, they called me. Any of you ever get an emergency call and your heart drops? Anybody, you had that experience before? Somebody calls you, your heart drops because you can hear the terror in their voice, but you can't get the information yet. So while you're waiting to get the information, your brain is running wild about all the things that could have happened, right? So, so yesterday, I got a call like that. One of our church members called me, just crying, screaming, frantic, and said, uh, "My 24-year-old nephew just died in his sleep." So how do you respond? What do we do? How does how does uh, how does her pastor minister to her? How does she count it all joy in that moment and in this season? It was yesterday we've got nieces we've got nephews how does her sister who lost her 24 year old son count it all joy all right and then in philippians chapter 4 verse 4 it says rejoice in the lord always say always, always. rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice i don't understand lord You tell me to count it all joy when I fall into trials, you say rejoice always. Always means what? Always. How do I rejoice? How do I count it joy when I'm going through it, when our friends are going through it, when we're sick, when we're tired, when we're hurting, when we're broken, when we've been abandoned, when we've been lied to, when we've been cheated on? How do we count it all joy? How do we rejoice always? How do we make sure that the fullness of Christ, the joy of Christ, is full because it's partly our responsibility? I got two answers. First, we count it all joy and we rejoice always because we know that this isn't the end of the story. Right? If that was the end of the story, then I can't help you, sis. Don't ask me for anything because I don't have anything to give you. And don't ask me what you should say to your sister because I don't know what you should say. There's no hope here. There's no joy here. The child's not coming back. Just be depressed for the rest of your life. See, but if this isn't the end of the story, we can find joy still. We have something to rejoice about. If life is eternal, if our God is the resurrected one who conquered death, then there's still joy, and there's still hope, and there's something to rejoice about, right? Still hard, though. It's much easier to say that to somebody when it ain't you going through it, right? The second thing I think, or the second reason I think that we can rejoice always and we can count it joy, even in trials, is that for you and I who are still here, right? Somebody passes away, somebody goes through something, but for you and I who are still here in the here and now, We have ups and downs, victories and defeats, right? We have good times and bad times. Anybody? Amen? We see babies being born, and then at the same time, we see loved ones passing away. We can rejoice, and we can find joy in our trials because Jesus says that the joy he provides for us cannot be taken away because of circumstances. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you're going through, Regardless of what your friends and family are going through, no matter how bad it gets, that's why he said, joy is found in my word. Because if you go on your feelings, your your joy is going to literally be like a Disneyland roller coaster. It's going to be high and it's going to be low. You're going to have it, then it's going to be gone. You're going to have all that energy in the beginning. And then by the time you leave, you're dead and you want somebody to drive you home. Right? But he says, my joy cannot be taken from you because of circumstances. I've gone to the cross and I had joy. If I can go to the cross and be crucified and not lose my joy, there's nothing that you and I can go through that can steal our joy from us. If we know what joy is and we know where to find it and we know who holds it in his hands. If your joy was dependent upon you, we might have some issues. But it's not on you. It comes from the Lord. So Psalm 146 verse 5 says, happy is he. Who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. What a great scripture. It doesn't say happy is he who or she who's doing well and going good and things are turned around and they have all victory and there's no defeat. They have all life and no death, all joy and no trial. It says you're happy if you have the God of Jacob as your help. You need help when you're going through something. It says, if your hope is in the Lord, your God, then you are happy. You can have joy. Why is it such a hard disconnect for you and I? Either we don't read the word or we don't trust the word. We don't pray the word. We don't test the word. Gary mentioned Malachi where where God says, try me now in this and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour blessings into your life. You're robbing me in your tithes and offering. But if we don't test him and we don't try and we don't tithe and we don't offer, then we don't receive those blessings and we can't complain against God. If you don't have joy, you don't have happiness, but if you don't also trust in and have God as your hope and as your joy, then we can't complain about being sad and depressed and frustrated and hurting all the time. We have to stand on the word of God. We have to actually walk by faith and not talk about faith. The happiest place on earth is wherever the presence of God is. Let me say that again. I like to hold stuff off, like hit you at the end. That one I really wanted to wait till like the last service of the series. But I just want to give it to you from the beginning. The happiest place on earth is wherever the presence of God is. So right now for our sister who's going through something amazingly difficult, who has a real blood sister going through something that none of us could wish on anybody, Right? If the presence of the Lord is there, they can have joy. If their hope is in the God of Jacob and their help is in the God of Jacob, they can have joy. They can have more joy than people who aren't going through anything right now, but are far from God. If you're saved here, you have the spirit of God alive inside of you. You have like an annual pass to the heavenly version of Disneyland. You ever meet somebody that has an annual pass and you get mad? <laughs> you be like, man, I got to save for like three years to go to Disneyland. And you got an annual pass, you can go whenever you want? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me for hating on people who have annual passes. <laughs> but you know what it's like where it's like you want to go bad and they don't even care. They're like, nah, we don't go that much. We go, you know. Like, Man. <laughs> Think about that. As a Christian, if you're saved, Right? If the spirit of God came to live in you, you have a pass any day, any time you can be in the happiest place on earth. It's paid for. It's all inclusive. You know you're handicapped, so you get to go to the front of the line too. You need that help from the Lord. Your children are covered. They get to go to the front of the line. Why are we depressed? Why is there no joy? You know how other people look at us? You know when the, uh, I shared the scripture where it says, The kingdom of violence, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force? That's, that's the world looking at us saying, You have the Son of God, you have access to the happiest place on earth, and you don't even use your past? Genesis chapter 2, verse 6 says, A mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden." So you've got Disneyland, right? And then this would be like Disney World. God literally made Disney World. He made a man and he made the most beautiful place that you could ever want to be in. With everything you could ever want and it doesn't cost you anything. He gave you free access and said it's all yours. Literally the whole world, right? This is the blueprint that Walt Disney used when he makes Disneyland. I want it to be like that. I want the feeling that Adam had in the garden to be the feeling that we have when we walk through those gates. The only thing better than going to Disneyland, I can imagine, would be going to Disney World. And the only thing better than going to Disney World would be going to Disney World with your boo. Right? Don't front like you don't remember being like 13 and you had a girlfriend and you got to go to Disneyland. I remember taking Mary. You know, we couldn't afford it. We went to Knott's first, but you know. I was like, look, she act right at Knott's. I'm going to go ahead and save for Disneyland. But listen, Genesis chapter 2, there's Adam, right? And he's in the garden. He's at Disney World. Genesis 2.21 says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed." So what made this garden the happiest place on earth? Here's Adam. Now he's got Eve. They're in this garden. But what actually made it the happiest place on earth was being able to be in the presence of God without barriers. Think about that for a second. They're in the presence. God was already with Adam. Then he says, you need somebody as a helpmate that is comparable to you. He brings him Eve. Now the two of them are in this garden, Disney World, in the presence of God, but the key here is there was no barrier. It said that they were naked before the Lord. It's not about physically just being naked. It's about the fact that there is nothing separating all of who they are from all of who God is. To be in the presence of God without any barriers is the happiest place on earth. When I was nine or or maybe 10 years old, my parents paid for me to go to Disneyland, and they let me go with friends, so I had freedom. Say freedom. freedom. And to make it even worse, some of you heard this story, my dad taught, uh, bought me brand new shoes. They were the Air Mission Nikes. They were $107, I remember. He bought them for me, so I was looking fresh. <laughs> Went to Disneyland, had freedom, and what did I do? I got caught stealing of all things to do, of all things not to do. And I thought I was slick. I think it's kind of a setup, though. This is a side note, but I'm going to just keep it real. I think it's a setup. (laughs) Why would you send a child into Disneyland, and you know as soon as you walk into any of these stores, there's stuff everywhere. You don't see any employees. You don't see any security. They got the little stuffed animals like three feet from the door. That's temptation. So I walked around, I scoped out the place, just straight center. (laughs) Tried to snatch something up, got out the door, like three of them grabbed me, and then uh, if you've ever been caught there, there's like back rooms to Disneyland that they take you into for interrogation. Terrified. So they caught me, they kicked me out of the park. They would not release me though until my dad came to pick me up. So this went from being the best day of my life at the happiest place on earth to the worst day of my life at the most fearful place on earth, (laughs) waiting for the wrath of my father. Have any of you ever been waiting for the wrath of your father when you know you're going to get whooped? It's better just to walk into a whooping like you weren't prepared for it. But when you got to wait for somebody to drive all the way to Disneyland and then drive all the way home, all that time for the anger to boil up in this man, that was a bad day. The wrath came. The wrath was deserved. Somebody say amen. Amen. So let's listen to this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Think about that for a second. They go from being in the the presence of the creator to hiding amongst the creatures and what has been created. Verse 9, then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. See, the man and woman were out of order. Say out of order. out of order. Instead of the man leading his wife into life, the man followed his wife into death. God has a way of putting things into order, and whether you like it or not, if you stick with his order, you'll find life. If you get outside of his order, you'll find death, no matter what the situation or circumstance is. That's husbands and wives, that's parents and childrens. right? It doesn't matter. They got out of order and they found death. Instead of being in the happiest place on earth, in the presence of God, no barriers, right? Now they find themselves hiding in one day. Listen, one decision. Now they're hiding. They're afraid. They're separated with barriers, right? It said that they made themselves clothing, right? So now there's something between them and the Lord. And they get themselves kicked out of the park. It's no different than my story, right? The exact same thing that happened to me. I was given a chance. I was given freedom. I was given blessings. And I was going to the happiest place on earth. But because of my own decision to sin and to steal, I lost all of that and wrath came. It's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They're in the happiest place on earth. One rule. You can do whatever you want. Go wherever you want. Have whatever you want. And matter of fact, you name the stuff. Just don't eat of this because it's going to hurt you, and it's going to cause pain, and it's going to bring death. Yet we think he's not a good God because he holds us accountable for breaking the laws and the commandments that he put in place to protect us. I'm mad because my dad whooped me. But he whipped me because I sinned and he's trying to prevent me from sinning again. Right? Our perspective sometimes is wrong. What was the number one problem that they had? They did not heed the word of the Lord and wrath followed. He gave them his word. He told them what to do and he told them what not to do. And we don't listen to the word of the Lord, you can't find joy. Remember earlier he said that? Joy is found in my word, what I speak to you, what I tell you, what I write for you. That's where you'll find joy. And if you get outside of that joy on purpose because you want to make your own decision or out of ignorance, if you just don't read this and then you still make decisions and do things that are contrary to this, guess what? The wrath still comes. We cannot forget the word of the Lord if we want to have joy that's sustained. If you want joy that is sustained, you cannot forget what God has said. If you forget, if you don't read, if you disregard, you may have moments of joy, but they'll always be followed with moments of wrath. It won't be sustained. You'll be tossed to and fro. One day people will see you, and you're happy, and your marriage looks good. The next week they're going to see you, and it's all, it's all going to hell. We cannot forget. Say forget. Forget. Say forget. Yes. Ray, can you play a uh, video for me, please? Isn't it funny that that's how we are a lot of times with the Lord? <laughs> In Exodus, we see a people who God kicked out of the garden and he's trying to get them back. When you read through the Bible, right, I, I gave you a, uh, the first few chapters of Genesis right now where God creates Adam, he creates Eve, he gives them everything they sin and be separate, become separated from God. He kicks them out of the garden right? Exodus is the story of the deliverance to bring them back into the happiest place on earth, to bring them back into the garden. He brings them out of bondage, a fearful place on earth. They're separated from God and they're slaves to sin. That's where we pick up in Exodus, right? They're far from God. They're now slaves of sin. They live in Egypt. It's not the garden. It's the fearful place, right? This is what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we'll hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Separation, right? Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you might not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Listen, he's trying to pull us out of sin and out of darkness, out of exile, and back into relationship with him, right? This is Exodus chapter 20. Did anybody know what God gave just before that? Ten commandments. He gave his law. He gave his word. He's telling them, keep my word, keep my commandments, come to me, come out of darkness. And what do the people say? We're still afraid. We don't want to get too close to him. Moses says, don't be afraid. He's not just mean for the sake of being mean. He's not just whooping you for the sake of whooping you. He's trying to keep you from sinning. Come into his presence. Come out of darkness. You know what Moses does? He says, I'm going into the presence. Y'all can stay out here if you want to, but I'm going into the presence. He loves them enough to come back and share the word with them, but he went into the presence. They were afraid. He says, remember my word. Remember my statutes. So God says, I'm going to put them on a journey. I'm going to take them back, bring them back to the garden. And this is what Moses says to God, Exodus 33:14. 14. He says, now, therefore, I pray, God, Moses saying this to God, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. Tell me how to get back. We've got to get to the garden. We've got to get to the happiest place on earth. He says, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Listen, they've come out of a terrible place in Egypt. Say amen. You know where they are. They're on the road in the wilderness, still kind of stuck. Many of us have been there when we come out of sin and we get saved, but we're still in that place where it's like, man, I don't, I don't really like this place. Remember when you read through Exodus, they kept wanting to go back? That's the place they're in right now. They haven't made it to the promised land, but they're still not where they used to be. And what does Moses say? God says, listen, I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to give you rest. And Moses says, well, listen, if you don't go with us, we ain't leaving here. We'd rather stay right here in the mess, in the junk, in the trial, in the wilderness, out of our old life and not into the promised land. Why? Because you're here with us. If your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. See, joy, peace, hope is found in the presence of God. How many places have we gone without the presence? How many times have we made a decision to do something, to go somewhere, to be a part of something, to invest in something? And the presence of God wasn't there. And we wonder why we didn't find joy and happiness there. What was it says? You know what? This ain't a great place. We're out here in tents. Everybody's angry. They're fighting for water. They're fighting for food. Now they want meat. But you know what, God? I know that joy is only in your presence. So I'd rather be here in the midst of all that junk with you than out there without you. If we would be able to say the same thing, I promise you this morning that we would find joy, even in our wildernesses of trial. I hope many of us have come to realize that the wilderness is just part of this. (laughs) The wilderness is part of this. When's the last time you came in here and somebody was not in a wilderness? Somebody was not struggling. Somebody was not going through it. If you don't know, that means you're not talking to anybody. (laughs) Somebody's always going through something because the wilderness is part of this. But if we would just say, you know what? If your presence doesn't go, we don't go. We'd have joy. I'd say this, that the children of Israel had more problems in the wilderness because of forgetfulness than anything else. You and I typically have more problems in our wilderness because of forgetfulness than anything else. It's not the drama you're going through right now. It's the fact that you forgot the drama that God brought you through already. It's not the current loss that you're struggling with. It's that you forgot the other losses that God has restored tenfold. It's not the argument you're in with your spouse or the drama you're having with your kids. It's because we've forgotten what God has done in those areas in the past. We run around like Dory. As the pastor, sometimes I feel like Marlon, the clownfish. i would be like, man, we just talked about the goodness of God, and you're acting like you don't remember anything. You're like, hello, pastor. <laughs> I'm like, didn't we just talk and pray, and we were crying, and God was moving? It's literally like, that was Sunday, and it's Wednesday. You're like, I'm done with it. Can't take it anymore. God, God bless me with a job and a new car. And then like two weeks later, I just can't afford to, to give. And God never takes care of What are you talking about, Dory? <laughs> if I slip up and call you Dory, you know, you know what it means. <laughs> All joking aside though, but can you can you see it? Can you receive it this morning that it's probably your forgetfulness that steals your joy more than anything? Exodus 13, 21 says this, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Think about that. They got light and heat during the night. They've got a covering and shelter and direction during the day, right? And what he's saying, he said, why did he do both? He says so they can go by day or night. You know what that means? That when it's, the sun is shining and things are good and you're blessed, you can go. When it's dark and it's cold, right, and you can't see, you can still go by night because he's giving you warmth and light. He's saying that there's never going to be a time that you cannot continue to move forward if you have his presence with you. That's how they got saved. Listen to me. The children of Israel were stuck in sin. They were stuck in bondage. They were stuck in Egypt. And how did they have or how did they make their exodus? By the blood of the lamb, right? It covered their door, their archway. And they had what's called the Passover. They came through the blood of the lamb, out the door of bondage and sin and slavery. They went out into the open and God said, you haven't made it where I'm taking you yet. So I'm going to provide my presence to show you the way. Yet a little while later, they want to go back. And they're begging for meat, and they're begging for bread, and they're begging for water. I think it's interesting that if you really look at the story, everything they really need needed, they had on day one. They got the blood of the lamb, and they got set free. On day one, they had the presence of the Lord leading and guiding them. But because they decided to start looking for other things, they never found happiness. They never found joy. You know they died 40 years later in the wilderness with no happiness and no joy? How many of us, if we could just for a moment, don't forget, think back to the moment you got saved. Think back to when you put your trust in Jesus. Think back to when you got washed by the blood of the lamb, right? And there's the presence of God Say, I'm going to lead you. You have everything. We as Christians, we say these statements, but I don't think we really know what they mean. When we say, if you do nothing else, you've already done enough, that's what it means. When you washed me and you gave me your presence, you don't have to do anything else. If I stay in the wilderness, if I only make it a mile a month, <laughs> if I get into the promised land here on earth of joy and happiness and stability and financial peace and all that kind of stuff, great. But if not, it's okay because I have your presence. That's the place God wants us to be. God brought them out and promised them Tomorrowland. Anybody remember at Disneyland you have what's called Tomorrowland? Right? It's the future place, right? You go there and it's literally called Tomorrowland. It's supposed to be stuff that you can't really experience here on earth until tomorrow. It's in the future. That's what God did with The children of Israel, he took them out of their past and their sin. He brought them into life and into the wilderness. He said, I have a promised land for you. Does that make sense? But it's not today. It's the land of tomorrow. It's tomorrow land. It's the promised land, right? And you know what they turned the promised land into? The sorrow land. They were supposed to go to the promised land, and they died in the sorrow land. Why? Because of forgetfulness. One thing about Disneyland is that you gotta go home. At the end of the night, you gotta go home. You can try to stay if you want to, you wanna be the last person down Main Street, but you can't stay there. They kick you out. It's just a facade, they gotta set it up to make other people dream that life is perfect tomorrow. (laughs) If we're looking for joy that does not end, right? It doesn't close at the end of every night, you don't have to save up to buy your way back in another time. That's only found in the presence of God. You know what's sad when it comes to the church of God, the real church, those who are real believers that belong to Jesus Christ, is that many of us, even though we belong to God, we live in a place called Sorrowland. We ain't living in tomorrow land. We ain't living in the promises of God. We're not proclaiming and prophesying all the good things that are ahead of us. We're not leaving things behind to make sure that we could take up what's ahead of us. Oftentimes, we forget who God is. We forget about the presence, and we live a sorrowful, dreadful Christianity. That's crazy. And then we long for, you know what? Next year, we'll have enough to get one more good day at Disneyland. That's how we live our Christianity. Man, it might be next month, and it might be that conference. It might be that marriage event, right? It might be that one event, I'm going to feel God again. I'm going to feel his presence, and I'm going to be able to worship like I want to worship. That's not what God intended for us. That's the earthly blueprint that you can only get once in a while. you got to save up for What God intended for us is to be in his presence all the time and to always be at the happiest place on earth. I'm going to close with this. So you've got... Dory and Nemo, and then you've got Jonah. In Jonah, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I'll pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You see the difference between Dory and Jonah? (laughs) Jonah was going through it. Everything he ever wanted, everything he hoped for and dreamed of, it was being lost. He found himself in the deep, and it says the, the weeds and the reeds are wrapped around my neck. I'm being choked. I'm being choked out. My life is being taken from me. And even in the midst of such a bad situation and circumstance that he got himself into for forgetting God and not listening to God when he told him where to go, you know what he did? I remember the Lord. I remember that where I find myself right now, no matter how bad it feels and no matter how bad it looks, if I just remember him and call on him, he'll do what he did for me in the past. That's just who he is. Think about that for Jonah. He knew the Lord. He was a prophet. He was sent to a people to deliver them and to tell them how to be delivered is a better way to say it, right? Which means at some point, he came into a real relationship with God and the presence of God was with him, right? But here he finds himself in a really bad place, stuck in a fish because of sin and because of uh, disobedience. He didn't have to fix it. He didn't have to like backtrack and and make good on the things that he did wrong. All he had to do was remember who God is and who God has always been in his life. This morning, if you're here and you've forgotten, man, we have a great opportunity to remember. You know, when, when I got in trouble, you know what my dad made me do? Pay back that $107, right, for those shoes that he bought me. You don't deserve blessings, and you've got to pay what you owe. You know what God says? Jesus already paid for you. You don't have to pay back. You just have to remember who I am, ask for forgiveness, repent, and everything will be restored to you again. It's crazy. I want us to be like Jonah. When you guys are going through things, I don't want to slip up and call you Dory. I want to slip up and call you Jonah. Man, you're back in the fish's mouth, but we remember who God is. Let's get out of here, right? God spoke to the fish. He bobbed it out, and then Jonah went on to destiny, and people's lives were changed and saved because of it. Let's remember, remember who he is. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Worship team, would you come? I thought, uh, I thought this morning, one of the things i like to share with you guys is, is just when I feel confirmation this scripture about Jonah was, was my last scripture, and he says, I'm going to remember my vows to the Lord. I thought it was great that, that Gary said, make a vow to the Lord when we started this morning, right? I thought it was great that Mary and I, I told you before, we don't talk often about the messages and, and the song service, worship unto God. But one song was in your presence, and the other was show me your glory. Can we do show me your glory? I don't know what, you're already doing it? Confirmation, see what I mean? So Moses stepped into the cloud, and this is the song we sing. So I'm going to tell you this you might not be feeling anything today, but I'm telling you, God is feeling you. (laughs) He's here, it's confirmed. All you have to do is step into his glory, step into his presence, receive what God has provided for you. Remember who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. Remember that he's not done. Remember that today we have a sister who's going through something that we would not wish upon anybody. And then we don't have the answers. God does have the answers. All she needs to do is remember everything else that God has done. Tomorrow, you or I may be going through something. You know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to remember what God has done. Bow your heads with me this morning. Close your eyes. Matthew chapter 2 says this. When Jesus was born, he's there in a manger, and God was doing the same thing then that he was doing with the children of Israel when he pulled them out of Egypt. He was drawing them back to the garden, drawing them back to life, drawing them back to a place where there's no barriers, where there's no sin, where sin's been forgiven and we can be in the presence of God. And when Jesus is being born, he's there in a manger and far away, there's a group of people who are looking for hope, looking for salvation, looking to be close to God. And it says this in Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. (laughs) We see the star. We know the direction we have to go. And we have joy and we rejoice. It's not just a feeling that's inside of us, it's affecting us and it's coming out. It's being shown. We're going to get on the road and go towards that star. That our joy could be full. It's one thing to know who Jesus is. It's another thing to know where he is. And then it's another thing to be in his presence that your joy is actually full. If you're here this morning and you've stopped anywhere but the fullness of joy, maybe you know who he is and you've heard about him. Maybe you come in and out of this place because you know where he is. But if your joy is not full, if you're still overcome by your situation or your circumstance if the presence of God is not overwhelming you and filling you and causing you to be joyful even in your wilderness that's what God offers you this morning it's called salvation you step through and you are washed clean by the blood of Christ everything has been paid for you're forgiven there's no burdens that are upon you because he took them for you but you've got to step in You've got to walk through that door, out of our old lives and into the new. Get your eyes fixed and your heart fixed on tomorrow land and the promised land. And follow the presence. That's you. You want to give your life to the Lord this morning? Raise your hand where you are. Give your life to Jesus. Come out of the old, out of sin, into the new, into destiny, the happiest place on earth. You can always have joy. Anybody this morning, hallelujah Lord, amen, I see you. Anybody else this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed, don't look around, look to Jesus. Anybody else, amen, I see you, thank you Jesus. Hallelujah Lord. In Luke 15, 10, the Bible says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Not only do we have joy here, but it says in heaven, the angels of God, they see your heart this morning, they see your repentance, and they rejoice. There's joy, they're celebrating, they're excited in heaven. They know that what tomorrow holds for you is to be in the presence of the living God in all his glory, rejoicing and praising with the angels. This is not just a thought or a happy idea. This is reality. And all we have to do is make up our mind to repent for stealing when we didn't have to, for lying when we had already been given everything, for clothing ourselves and separating ourselves from God. All you have to do is apologize in sincerity of heart. Is there anybody else before we move on? Just want to apologize to God and ask him to forgive you. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to pray, and I'm going to release you for communion and just release the service, but I'm going to tell you this. Communion is about remembering that you carry the presence of God with you everywhere you go. It's hard to receive communion and not have joy. Because when you receive communion, you're saying, I take your body, and I take your blood, and I don't just take it externally, I take it internally. I can't control where it goes once it gets inside of me. It permeates every portion of me. I know that I carry the presence of God, and I remember it every time I take communion. That's what we're about to do. So before you go to the table, before you take the bread, before you take the juice, man, take the Lord. (laughs) Take him at his word. Remember who he is and what he's done for you. And be able to say as you receive your communion this morning, Lord, if you don't do anything else, you've already done enough. If I'm in a wilderness today, I do not care and I don't want to get out of it unless your presence goes with me. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your presence, Lord God. We thank you. That we can live in the happiest place on earth, Lord God. That it doesn't close every evening on us. That we don't have to save up and earn our way to get back into that place. That it's a free gift to us. That we were designed and created to live there in your presence. Without barriers. Without sin separating us, Lord. This morning, we remember the gift of your life, the gift of your blood, your body that was broken for us, Lord God. We remember that as we take you in in this form, we're confirming and stating that we've already taken you in in your spirit form. You live and dwell within us. We are the temple of God. We are the church regardless of what building we're in. Have your way over us. Give us our joy back and then let our joy overflow into those who are hurting and broken and without joy. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can worship. If you want prayer, you can come for prayer. If you want communion, communion is open. Amen.